Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast, London calling from a faraway land, and who's calling? What's the founder and CEO of Eladex, a leading SaaS compliance platform for HR admin and compliance management, and she's none other than Carolyn Mumby. Now, to give you some background on Carolyn, she's an entrepreneur and qualified agile HR coach. She's also a member of the bar and an associate member of the CIPD. Now, she collaborates with teams to respond to the pandemic and help them unleash their true potential. And everything she does is designed to be inclusive as she helps teams craft a productive and happy new normal, deal with the disruption caused by the pandemic, and realize the staggering benefits of being a reborn business. Carolyn, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you so much. I am excited as well. And I must say, Carolyn, you are, in fact, from jolly old England. And being that Christmas is right around the corner, I'd love to know, what does a traditional Christmas dinner consist of across the pond? <laughs> well, I don't know. It always makes me think about Thanksgiving, your Thanksgiving, because I, we have turkey. So turkey is our traditional Christmas lunch and Brussels sprouts. You have to have Brussels sprouts, right? Roast potatoes and all that good stuff. And for some reason, chestnuts are really important too. But this year we're having uh, goose just to be a bit different this year. I think everybody with lockdown is just looking to for something a little bit different this year. I will say this morning, I was inspired knowing that you're going to be here. I was right about to have some beans on toast for breakfast, but I decided <gasps> against it. So... <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. They really are great. Baked beans on toast. <laughs> that's really great. Actually, that's quite funny because when I first named my business, uh, we were just uh, talking a little earlier, weren't we, Brian, about naming businesses when I asked you about how you came up with the name for One Broken Cog. And it, it put me in mind of the fact that when, when I first started my business, naming naming it is really tough. It's one of the toughest things you do. And you feel like, oh, I'm wasting so much time trying to come up with a name for my business. And in the end, I called it Employment Law Essentials. I mean, this is back in the day, back in 2004. And um, funnily enough, I had to rename my business a bit later on because a specialist in branding said to me, you might as well have called your business Baked Beans. <laughs> and, I said, and he said, because every time somebody puts baked beans in into Google or employment or essentials, they're just going to get hundreds of different businesses are writing about this sort of thing all the time. So, you know, you need something more unique. So we came up with Ellie Dex, which, uh, of course, that's where we get the ELE bit from. And then the Dex afterwards is a bit of a modern take on it. Oh, I love that. Now, Carolyn, you're an agile HR coach. What issues are plaguing organizations right now in relation to HR? Well, I think very much uh, the the thing which a lot of your listeners will be already very much painfully aware of, I guess, which is there are just so many problems, so many issues being thrown at leaders, business leaders, teams, businesses, and trying to solve so many of these things is difficult because you you know naturally think, oh well, if I in the past if I solve a problem, I might get another one come at me fairly soon, but I can handle it, I can keep going. But with this pandemic that we've all been through, the problems just seem to be nonstop and it's relentless and it's exhausting. And I think businesses and their teams have just and their leaders have just run out of the stamina to keep dealing with all of these curveballs being thrown at them in a, in a way which is not more, how can I put it, more structured. 
So, you know, there's only so long you can run on adrenaline before you just exhaust it. So what I try and help people to do is to find ways of dealing with the problems that will, instead of keep you on the back foot, get you on the front foot and start to help you stop firefighting and start taking charge. That will help you to relax a bit, feel a bit more in, in control of things, and you're not burning, you know, you're not burning adrenaline 24-7. That's where I'm working. And that's where I'm finding the majority of problems are. It's the stress factor, I think, Brian. Yeah, no, absolutely. Where are HR managers or HR professionals getting it wrong? What do you think they're struggling with right now? Well, I, th- I think it's the old approach to leadership, which is thinking you can do it all yourself and feeling very responsible for everybody else. I mean, it can come from a good place. It can come from a not such, such a good place. But if you, let's just assume that, you know, you're a really great leader, you've got the best of intentions, it is quite natural to think that you can solve other people's problems and that you are, in the end, you're the one who's got to stay up later, work longer, and come up with the solutions the next day and make sure that everybody can just carry on looking up to you for all those answers. But really, it's just not sustainable. And so you have to find new ways of, of doing it. Now, I, I, I'm really impressed by John Hegel's scalable learning solution. I think that that's a really great way forward because what you can do is say, look, I, I can't solve all these problems on my own, but if I help my teams get their heads together and give them what they need in order to be able to co-create design solutions for our customers they're closest to the problems they're the ones that know where the you know the the work friction is where what's stopping us getting our our products out on time or or whatever it might be let's get t-shaped teams involved let's get cross-functional teams involved and get their heads together to solve the problems and i think that makes it sound very easy i know but i suppose fundamentally it is because it's logical so that's that's how I would I think that's the problem is that people try and solve everything themselves and I think the solution is to open it up and accept that you you just can't answer all these questions yourself. I love that and some people do struggle with that for sure. But I love you that you bring up logic and you bring up teams. Now on that note, speaking of that, you talk about building T-shaped teams versus their pre-pandemic cousins. What is this and why should companies consider this? Well, a a T-shaped team is, for me, it's going to be looking more at the deliverable. It's not so much about the actions that you all have to go through that you're all responsible for doing. It's more about the, you know, what's the big objective? What is the key deliverable that we need? What's the key results? You're looking at objectives and key results. So in order to do that really well, everybody kind of has to understand a little bit about other people's jobs and a a bit more about either side of them. So it's not just one person, one job, and, oh, I've done my bit, I'm moving on now, I'm going home, or I'm just moving on to another of my jobs or whatever. It's, has that actually hit the deck? Has that actually, have what I've done, has it been connected to the next part of the process in the right way? So if, for example, I mean, just using a really obvious example, if you've finished a job and you know that your colleague has to pick it up in order to make it useful, but your colleague isn't there, just leaving it on the desk for a person who isn't there is not T-shaped, okay? So yeah, you have to be aware of what would happen next to that uh, part of the process. And you have to be willing to get involved in helping to solve the problem. So if there is a work friction problem that crops up 
and for some reason the customer isn't going to get the product on time, you're going to step in and you're going to see that problem. You're going to step in and you're going to do something about it. And obviously, if you have absolutely no knowledge of the process, either side of your own job, then that's going to be quite difficult. So a T-shaped team is going to have understanding across the functions. They're going to have more more cross-functional understanding. Now, for the people you've worked with, has this been a real challenge to adopt this T-shaped team mentality? Or has it been kind of an easy transition due to so much changes happening due to the pandemic? No, it really, I think it it has been a bit of both in a way, which sounds very fence-sitting and not very helpful at first. But um, what I mean by that is that when the pandemic first hit, there wasn't a lot of trust around. I think there's been a lot more trust for teams now. People understand a lot more about their, their people. They understand that they've gone through. We really are in this together, if you like, and that everybody has really quite surprised each other with the amount of uh, how they've gone the extra nine yards, how they have been there for each other, how they've started to really care about each other's well-being. And, and I think that's been an amazing acceleration of the trust and empathy that we see in organizations now. As a result of that, we are more willing to trust each other to do work. And therefore, let me just take the example of people working from home. Last year, I can remember for years trying to persuade clients to let their teams work from home more regularly, if especially if they wanted to, if they might be in a remote location and they were trying to encourage and um, attract really great candidates, let's say, for their talent acquisition programs. One of the great you know, things and benefits to, to a lot of people, a lot of workers is working from home. And so, but that takes trust. And in the past, pre-pandemic, businesses like, for example, engineering firms were very reluctant to do that. And yet, perfect job to be working from home and using technology to communicate with your colleagues and get your job done around the world. And often these engineers would travel around the world. So why can't they work from home as well? So now, of course, we've fast forwarded into this digital world in which we live. We've gone through digital transformation, whether we've liked it or not, just in order to survive. And people who would normally say, oh, you know, how do you use this thing? I don't know how you use it. I don't, I'm not techie. Sorry, I can't use this thing. They're now, the people don't say that now. They just get on with it. They know they have to. And combined with the amount of trust that's coming from managers and leaders, I think you're now seeing this explosion of working from home and remote working and this uh, agility and the outpouring of solutions and really customer-focused added value is fantastic. That's certainly what I'm experiencing now. And, And I'm hearing from my clients that they're just, they're thrilled. They're so pleased to see this in action. They, you know, I think it's been quite rewarding for them. Um, it's great to hear they're embracing this. That's a positive leap forward for sure. Now, I know, Carolyn, you're on record saying that leaders are pivoting right now to become enablers, right? They're enabling people to use their brains and leverage technology for the boring stuff, but it does require two-way trust, insight, and a leap of faith. We'd love for you to expand on this concept and how you're seeing this take shape right now. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're talking about the the taking shape of it is people saying, right, well, I actually... Actually, this this is a bit of a tongue twister because for a lot of clients, a lot of businesses, they want to be agile, but they don't know where to start. You know, and I often hear that question, and people will say, "Yeah, well, agility. What is it exactly?" Or, oh, "Well, I'd like our teams to be more agile, but we don't really know how to get started with it." 
or do we need to do Scrum and Kanban and all that kind of thing? And you can say, well, take it back to its most basic logic, if you like, and think about what is agile and, and how teams can be agile. Well, you know, Brian, as well as I do, that that's about collaboration. It's about communication. And you need a lot of good stuff in there in order to be able to motivate people. You've got to, they've got to feel part of things. They've got to be invested in the process. So this, it actually is much more complicated than it may at first look. It's not so much just about actions it's, and behaviors. It's, it's about mindsets too. So it's a process people have to go through. But I think if they take it right back down to the problem and say, what is the problem we need to solve? Is it an internal problem, maybe work friction based, or is it an external problem that we need to be perhaps in, in more innovative and more creative? Now, how can we encourage our teams to start working together to solve these problems? And how can we do this remotely in the pandemic environment, knowing that 60% of workers still probably will work from home after the pandemic, uh, after, after even the vaccine is, um, thank goodness, uh, freely available we can all go out with confidence in a few months time hopefully but still people will work from home so I think in order to build that confidence you have to have something there that says it's okay we've got your back you've started the process you know you can learn about agility you can learn about agile HR or HR for, for agile you can go and get certificated in OKRs and and, and all the rest of it but in the end You've got to get your team on your side and they've got to believe in it. You've got to walk the talk. You've got to really be there for them, listen to them, trust them and allow them to make mistakes and allow them to do things fast and, you know, get something to market or get a solution out there within two, three, four weeks. I mean, if you're looking at sales teams, probably two weeks, uh, you know, need to work a bit faster probably the engineering teams I was talking about might be looking at something a little bit longer. Maybe the four weeks would be more suitable, certainly in my experience. You know, it's interesting. Most people view HR as, you know, a necessary evil. They have it because they feel they need it. Why do you think HR and HR managers are viewed in such a negative light? Oh, well, that's a really loaded question, Brian. Is it? <laughs> well, it is because it assumes that they are, uh, but I, uh, a lot of my clients are HR uh, practitioners, and I think they would, they're, they're very self-aware. They're very aware that people are a bit suspicious maybe of HR or that they, I think they get a very bad rep for, for two reasons. I think, first of all, you're either in a, a very paternalistic organization, which expects HR to be all about tea and sympathy. And therefore, it gets demoted down the down the chain of command to the point of just kind of, you know, not having much power, not having uh, much insight uh, into strategy. But it's more operational all the time and uh, clearing up me the mess, if you like, especially if they get very hung up on compliance issues. But if you then move up to other organisations where you've got a more sophisticated, open-minded approach. Uh, pushing forward on the frontiers of HR, then you're into a territory that's really exciting because you realize that the most valuable data possibly in your organization is your people data. And now the trend is for HR practitioners to really know about data and to really understand data analytics. And my, my business, Elidex, is really 
uh, don't, we do a lot of R&D work around technology on, on the HR front. So we're really heavily into data analytics and supplying HR data to the centers in the organization that are making decisions about uh, you know, who to deploy, how to deploy, who to recruit, how to recruit, etc. But it can go much further than that. And we're working at the moment on a product which is we call Shine, which is designed to assess the agility of your teams as they work remotely. And that's a bit like the holy grail for a lot of a lot of people. They'll say, oh, how do you do that? How do you test and measure agility? The answer, I guess, is that it's very innovative and we are doing, you know, we have to come up with hypotheses and then we have to test those hypotheses to see if they are true or if they teach us new things, which is exciting if they do. But helping people to be more agile and therefore put 20% profitability onto bottom line is really grown up. So that gets you to the top table very, very, very quickly. So HR in those kind of organizations has quite a different reputation than it does in some of the others that you might be talking about. No, absolutely. And I think you know, your existence kind of proves the ineffectiveness of the HR industry, right? I mean, you wouldn't even have a business or be doing this if they were efficient and effective, right? So my question is, from your estimation and from all the clients that you've met with and worked with, are HR managers, for the most part, helping teams or hurting teams? Again, I think that's, you know, okay, you can generalize and you can you can say, uh, I mean, you know, honestly, Brian, if I just, I'm just searching my mind, thinking about all the different clients. Now, we have over 300 clients, and I'm thinking about the wide difference. I mean, you know, it's a spectrum, isn't it, like anything in life? Right. And you've, you've got them at both ends and in the middle and all the way across the spectrum. And I, I think that there, there is a, ex, examples of every, every type that you, you, know, you might expect. But the, what I like to focus on are those that I can see now a real trend of people understanding that in order for the business to flourish, you've really got to empower your teams and trust them and work with them. And which I just love because this makes me well, this makes me happy. Really, you have to you have to make them happy. They have to their well being is really important, and that's going to have a massive impact on our society as a whole. So happy people, happy workers make happy shareholders, in my view. And that can't be a bad thing. So the HR has got to be aiming now to support teams and to help teams be the best they can be and to, and to really feel, I think what it's all about, a lot of it is a sense of belonging, you know. I mean, if you go to work eight hours a day or more, to feel lonely and not wanted or not trusted is a dreadful thing. And of course, it's going to have a big impact on your life at home as well, not necessarily a good one. So HR has a massive impact on on society, I think. No, they do. I agree 100%. But I think most HR people are tactical, right? And business leaders, they're strategic. So sometimes from what I've seen, and it could be different in the UK versus the US, is a lot of HR people want to step out of their lane and be involved in the decision-making process in a business. And a lot of people, you know, I've seen very few that are advocates of employees. You know, HR professionals really should be advocates of the employee uh, and in the business too, right? They have to have alliances with both, allegiance to both. But a lot of times, you know, they don't give you the warm and fuzzies. They're not the most approachable type people. They're very, you know, heavily focused on compliance, like you mentioned, and, and legal issues. So I think my question to you, Carolyn, is right now from what you've seen, what is the largest area of focus 
for most HR pros and what should they actually be focused on? Right. Okay. Really good question. I think that they are very process driven, uh, far too much. Uh, I think if you look at traditional HR, you'll certainly see a lot of process uh, process driven colleagues there. And it's just not, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work now, for sure, it doesn't work now in pandemic. And it doesn't work with agile, because you've got to be fast, you've got to be responsive, and you've got to be prepared to skip out parts of the process if they're not working. So um, you don't work through, slavishly work through a kind of waterfall approach to a project. And then turn around in a year's time and say, oh, nobody really likes this, but we've just spent the last 12 months doing it. Instead, you're really in touch with your customer. And of course, for HR, sometimes uh, the, the customer is the employee or the teams or the team managers. So that if you if you really start doing it for, for HR, agile specialists, they are going to be very much in tune with that. And they're going to be driving customer-focused solutions. And so, of course, that fits in really well with your vision and mine, which is that that should be all about the teams. That should be about the people. No, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Carolyn, as far as companies right now, what they're struggling with during the pandemic from what you've witnessed, what are some of the areas or the greatest area they've been struggling with that you've been able to come in and help them with? Well, I would say that for for me personally, what I've been able to come in and help with has been to give them the confidence to do what they really instinctively want to do, which is to trust their teams and to go through a really rapid digital transformation in small pockets, not all over. You can't do this overnight in your entire business, but you can look at small, you know, small pockets and say, right, you know, we've got an emergency over here. We've got an urgent situation. We need to respond. How are we going to deal with that? I've given them the confidence to deal with the immediate problem and then to develop a strategy for taking control. And I think that's been my, uh, you know, really my message has been, I'm not going to have all the answers. You're not going to have all the answers. But your teams, when they work together with your customers, they will. They will have the answers for you. So that's the structure we have to develop together. And that's worked really well. I love it. Now, how does one help teams craft a productive and happy new normal and deal with the disruption caused by the pandemic? Ah, oh, well, Brian, how long have we got? I mean, you know, that's <laughs> like, it's, it becomes very personal. The way I would start with that would be to say, which team, what are they doing? Who are their customers? What is their list of things that they have to do? Let's get backlogs together and, and start understanding the list of things that, that you know, to-do list, and then start moving it through the backlog into the priorities of what we can do in, with the resources that we have and the limitations, et cetera. So I'd help them to develop a very personal plan for themselves and their, their business and their clients. That's, that's the best way, I think, to do it. No, that's great. That's great. I thought you were going to give me the magic bullet, but that's okay. <laughs> well, it kind of is in a way. It's just that it's tailored to each business. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of the fun stuff that I get to do with clients because they each have their own characters, their own personalities, the businesses themselves, I mean. And so they sometimes don't know where to start. So by able, being able to say to them, well, look, let's spend an hour together. Let's, let's do that backlog together. And then we can put it in front of your teams and see what they're going to do with it. 
And that really gives them the confidence to get out there. And then they do find their silver bullet. They do find that magic bullet. And of course, they see their teams picking up with this and going and running with it and finding real solutions that actually work. And they're quick to implement. And it's like this massive relief that people experience. And they're, oh, that was great. Can we do that again? (laughs) Yeah, we can. (laughs) Keep doing it. There you go. Now, Carolyn, what are the benefits of being a reborn business and how can companies become a reborn business? Well, I think that this is the time we have to we have to be reborn. We can't hang on to the old ways, the old traditions. A lot of stuff has got to get um, get thrown out, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Make sure you keep the best bits. Make sure you capitalize those, that you reset your organization to capitalize on things that can become your competitive advantage. Uh, really go back to basics and ask yourself, look, okay, we've been doing this for a long time, but is it really the right thing to do? You know, and, and that's why it's really great to have somebody from outside helping you to make to challenge some of those, those things. I, I often speak with businesses and they'll you know, you, you might say to them, I, I would give you an example. Law firms will say, if you, a lot of law firms will say, if you ask them, what is your unique selling proposition? What makes you different? And they'll start saying, well, you know, we're really great at what we do. We've got you know, 150 years of service between us. And, uh, you know, and all these other things. And I say, well, all, all your clients, all your competitors are going to say exactly the same thing. Oh, well, yeah, I know, but that's what, we all say, we all do that. All the websites look the same. They all have to have that sort of blurb on them. Now, if you take any type of business in any sector, it will have its equivalent response to what's my USP. And I say to them, look, let's really get under the bonnet of it. Because if that's the best you can do, you need to innovate something new. And I'm sure you're probably doing lots of stuff, which is really great. And you're not getting the kudos for it that you should be getting. So let's ask your teams because they know what your customers are saying probably better than the leaders know. Funnily enough, well, you know, just not that funny, is it? When you really think about it, it's obviously logical because they're the ones talking to them. So they get the feedback. So let's find out what our customers really love about us. And I bet you it isn't that, oh, you know, you're really, you know, you're really experienced at what you do. I mean, what customer is going to say that? You're not going to use a company that isn't experienced, are you? So... That's that's about being really reborn. It's about resetting your organization, challenging the norms, and really testing yourself, pushing yourself to, to really come up with something innovative and new and different because you have to. In this environment, there'll be a lot of businesses, very sadly, go to the wall as a result of the pandemic and maybe the worst is yet to come for, for many who won't make it past Christmas. But you know, if you're in the if you're in the hospitality sector. You know what do you say? You've got to you've got to be you've got to be well innovating, haven't you? I I don't. It must be absolutely terrifying for a lot of businesses in the in the in that sector. But those that are reborn, they've said right, we're going to do delivery services and we're going to make them really great, and they've done that. And uh, some of them are making more money now than they were before. You know, hey, just talking about that, my sister's a vet and she has a veterinary surgery. And I can remember, Brian, right at the beginning of uh, the year, we had a conversation about, oh, gosh, you know, I hope the veterinary s- sort of uh, surgeries are going to be OK. And she was saying, yeah, we're really worried about it. We don't know what's going to happen. And then who would have thought that everybody was going to want to buy a dog in the world? It seems that everybody who can afford to, to go on holiday and yet can't go on holiday because they can't get on a plane is now spending 
£3,000, which I don't know what the conversion rate is to dollars, but £3,000 on a dog which would have cost you only a year ago would have cost you a third of that price. So that's how the world changes. And my sister's benefited in the sense that now all those dogs have to be looked after. So they're going to vets. Uh, so she's she's probably got you know quite a bit more business. It's just how does she handle it because of all the problems that pandemic creates with seeing clients. You know, you've got to have all these uh, distancing measures in place. So lots of challenges, but also lots of opportunities too. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad she's benefiting from that for sure. And exactly, you have to be agile, you have to be adaptive, or, you know, unfortunately, you will be a victim of these horrible times we're living in. Now, Carolyn, before we wrap up, I'd love to hear about, and you don't have to name names here, of course, the biggest nightmare pain in the ass client you've ever worked with. Any great story about this? Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, this is going back a long time. I'll never, ever forget it. It was dreadful. I actually got to the point where I thought of just changing careers. It was so bad. The uh, the, the client just wouldn't, you know, kind of do the logical thing and instead was constantly working around the lowest common denominator. So if they had an employee who was trouble then all the policies changed around that employee to make it less troublesome for the managers to manage it. And that just, oh, it spiraled ridiculously. And of course, then all the good people leave your team. They leave the, the business because they don't want to, you know, they get a bit sick of seeing that the person who's the least um, helpful in the organization is, is being pandered to with all these you know, policies that are made to just make everybody's, the manager's life easier rather than dealing with it. When really they should have dealt with it, they should have done some sort of performance management and got that person out. But I can't, I honestly, Brian, I can't tell you how ridiculous that situation became. I think it actually must have been a bit of a one-off because very fortunately I haven't come across it again in my entire career, which has spanned quite a few years now. But I've never forgotten it. If we in in the UK after a few years after that case, um, the law developed, and we had a new reason because there's five reasons for dismissal, fair fair reasons for dismissal in the UK, and um, one of them uh, has become difficult personality. And my goodness, was this person, this employee, a difficult personality? Wow. Yes. I apart from nearly having a nervous breakdown, as I say, I nearly went off and got a new career. But I I was I'm glad to have put a few years between me and, uh, and that uh, experience. Well, you know, the upside of having a nightmare client is you appreciate the good clients all the more when you have them, right? <laughs> Absolutely, you do. And as you get more into the business and you, you know, your business becomes more developed, you can choose your clients as well, which is really nice. So you choose who you work with and you work with those that inspire you and uh, that you feel you're really helping too, because it's important, isn't it? I'm sure you feel the same. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree hundred percent. Now, Carolyn, it's been wonderful. Any last words of wisdom, anything you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Well, I would like to say, yes, I think I, I think I would like to share that it's important now to trust and be brave and find out new ways of doing things. Challenge yourself as well as your teams. Challenge yourself to think differently. And if you think that you can solve a problem a day, just think how many problems you can solve if you bring your teams together and they help you. That's what I would say. Knock them dead in 2021. Have a great year. And you really will succeed if you take that inclusive approach. Carolyn, very last question. It's a personal question. Just to get to know you a little bit better. You're going to be on an island for the rest of your life, retired and happy. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? 
Oh, gosh, that's really, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, well, definitely my um, movie would be Sleepless in Seattle because it's just so cute. And I think I can watch it many times and they're such good actors and they make me laugh and they make me cry. So you've got a really good, a really good balance, you know. And then the book that I would take with me would have to be uh, a book that, again, made me smile. So I think I would take, I think it would need to make me smile and it would need to inspire me. So I've got a book which I've never got through and it's called 101 Things to Do Before You Die. So uh, fortunately, I haven't gone through that yet. I would love to read that. I could read and I could dream all day on that desert island. I could just dream about all these different things that I could do. So in my mind, I'm a very creative, imaginative person, I think. So, so I could do that. And as for a book, well, I think I would take something like, um, I think I would take Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice because it's a very classic, because it's so classic, I think you could keep reading it. I mean, bearing in mind, you've got to keep reading this again and again. And I can only concentrate on uh, fictional books for very short periods of time before I need to take my um, intake of factual news <laughs> on, on Google and the rest of them. So I would think I would, it would probably take me about five years to get through the whole book, but it would just be pleasure, pure pleasure reading it. There you go. I love it, Carolyn. How does the audience get in touch with you, connect with you, and learn more about Elodex? Well, if they would like to go to my LinkedIn profile, that would be great. I would love to hear from anybody who would feel that they could contribute to the conversation about teams, remote working, uh, agile teams, and so forth. I'd love to get into conversations about that. If you think I can help you at all, please reach out to me through my LinkedIn profile. And, and that way, I think you can become... You can get to know each other pretty quickly through LinkedIn. I think it's a great way to, to get to know each other and see if, you, see if you're a good fit. By the way, Brian, I just realized I didn't, I gave you two books. I'm sorry, I gave you two books, didn't I? I didn't give you an album. That's right. So you dodged the question, but I'm glad you caught that and you're going to rectify it right now. <laughs> well, I, I sort of was, but you know, I think I'd go again for, um, it would have to be really like a diva powerhouse, uh, but then that would or that would want. I'd, I think I'd miss all my friends a lot. Then I'd I'd feel that I was missing out on partying and so forth. So I think it would have to be something nice and calming and relaxing. So I think a nice bit of classical music from Mozart would be good. Wonderful, well, Carolyn. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. It's been very very insightful. Have a wonderful rest of the day. A wonderful holiday. Let's stay connected and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.